Praise God. He's the Alpha and Omega, isn't he? He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was with God before the world began. And the book of Revelation says that he's coming again and will reign with us after time. Praise God. He is the beginning and he is the end. And Really, these are just words so that we can understand. He's actually just speaking in human language. But really, that is a picture that we can't physically understand. Your brain will not let you understand time before time and time after time. No matter what you do, your mind will just go back a billion years, a trillion years. 10 trillion years. Your mind is limited because it lives in time. So when you think of God before time, you just think of a long, 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 long time ago. And when we think of eternity, we just think of a really, really long time. This is part two from last week. Last week, I titled the sermon, Time is an Illusion. The Illusion of Time. And so this is part two. And what we must see is this, Hebrews chapter 1 Hebrews 1, verse 8. It says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your throne endures forever and ever. Now, I want you just to stop and think about this verse. Do you think that the writer here is talking about a throne that will reign forever and ever? Is he talking about when the world is done, that his throne is there forever and ever? When we talk about his throne enduring forever and ever, are we talking about after time? No, forever and ever has only really one definition. Forever and ever means it always was, it is, and always will be. God is existing outside of our reality. I want you to say that out loud. God exists outside of my reality. Now praise God that Jesus, my word and your word says the same, that Jesus stepped into your reality. Praise God that he stepped into time and space and became a man for a season, amen, and saved us from death. The Bible says here in Hebrews 1, he says, verse 10, he also says to the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. The Bible says that God laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with his hands. 
And then it says this, verse 11. It says, they will perish. Everybody say, my existence will cease. Everything that has ever been, everything that humanity has ever known, and anything that humanity will ever know, this is any achievement, whether it is a mental achievement, whether somebody pushes their physical body to an achievement, or all of the physical achievements we can still see, you know, the ruins of the, the, all the great temples, I don't call them great in God's name, but great architecturally, right? The, all, the, all the ruins of these great things and you, what your life is now, if time continues, will be a ruin as well. And they'll look at all the cities and look at all these feats of architecture that people have built. All of that, all of that will perish. We must understand it. I think that's a good reminder. It might seem like children's church, like, well, okay, we get it. But we need to have a revelation today that everything you know, everything you see, everything you've ever known, it is temporary. Everybody say, it is temporary. But God, it says, remains forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them. Discard what? What's he talking about? You're going to discard the foundations of the earth and the heavens. The earth and the heavens are to be discarded like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. We don't really understand, and today is not a science lesson, and so we don't need to understand, but just for one moment, you know, we don't really know. We're, we, the same scientists that tell you that you evolved from apes, okay, also tell, are telling you how big the universe and how big planets are and how far they are away. Just take that with a grain of salt. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm seeing the stars too, but just sometimes when they say, you know, that it's exp still expanding. Well, if they were expanding, you know, we know, right? Science does tell us, we do agree that the moon and our tides are held together. So I don't necessarily believe that it's expanding, but if it is, who cares? But So with that said, though, we don't really know what the heavens are. Is the heavens just, is the heavens the stars? Because that's, you know, kind of what, when you read through the scriptures, we have heaven where God lives. And then when we see something like the heavens, we're talking about, you know, the place above the earth, the heavens, right? That's where we see the signs, right? That's where Jesus, they, they were led to Jesus because of the heavens, the stars, and the sky. And the Bible says that all of that, all of that is discarded. Where does God take us if all of space and the earth is gone? Again, this is not, you know, I'm not trying to mess with our heads, but last week and this week, you know, we are talking about something that is outside of our, our immediate realm of understanding, right? When we talk about time and outside of time and outside of space. Let me just pose another question, which I've posed to you many times before, but let me say it again. Who were you that's sitting here today in your mother's womb? What about when you were just a seed? Before you were even in your mother's womb, you were just a seed. 
and yet it's you, you know, with all your intricacies and all your thought process and likes and loves and feelings and, and good days and bad days and all of that was somehow in, you know, right? That same science, again, this is what I'm saying, take it with a grain of salt. They say you didn't exist until the day you breached your mother's womb, right? Till you came out. You weren't you, apparently, based on science. But based on my word, it says that you were you formed by God in your mother's womb. Which means that it's that even all of the things that you could physically touch, you can physically touch this earth. And if we could get into a ship, you know, whether they've done it or not, who cares? But touching other planets, even if you could touch them physically, all of that apparently to God is discardable. God's not too worried. Now listen, I'm going to bring some encouragement to you today that your flesh is to be discarded. God's not too worried that it's getting older and showing more wrinkles. Because in God's perspective, these things are temporary, but the real you is inside of this shell of you. That's the real you. Which means, now the re why am I saying, why am I doing all this? Why am I talking about all this? Because then it'll help us think like God thinks. Because now I'm not so focused on that outward appearance, those outward beauties, those things the Bible tells us are temporary. I'm not so focused on my goals and aspirations because those things are all going to be discarded. Even if I was the greatest, of, when I die, Adam Bennett, man, he just, I can't believe the things he did. I talked about this just some weeks ago. No one cares. Just give it enough time. And eventually, they're going to tear your statue down anyway, no matter what you did. God is forever. We need to think like forever. Come on, I just want you to stop. Because it, it's something I don't believe Christians do enough, but we should do it more than, well, I mean, it's the only reality. There's not multiple ways. There's not multiple ways to God. It is the only reality. I'm not saying that some Christians should, some Christians shouldn't. The only way a Christian should think is a forever Christian. You need to think from eternity into your now. I know that that sounds weird, but that's real. That's how God thinks. Who wants to think like God? Who wants the mind of Christ? Jesus thought from eternity in the now. I said it last week. I say it probably every other week. But remember, Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, the Bible says. What was he talking about? He says, be, you know, do some thinking before you just say, I'm going to follow you. Because no, no, I mean, he's talking in the real, he was talking in a sense of like real, like, hey, like if you follow me, we could be anywhere, anytime. And I need you to understand what that means in the natural when he said it to those disciples. But he was also talking on another level. He was saying, this earth is not my home. This body, you don't know it yet, is going to be so mutilated, they won't even call it human anymore. And yet, they're not going to kill me. They might think they're going to. You could destroy everything and destroy everyone, and yet the Bible says that he is forever, and we are with him forever. Isaiah 46.10, you don't need to turn there, but it just says that he knows the end from the beginning. Everybody say it out loud. He knows the end 
from the beginning. If I was to title this today, and I suppose I'll have to for the podcast, I might call this the inversion of time. I said last week that you need to live your life in reverse. We need to live from eternity now. I'm not talking about, there's an old saying, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. Who's ever heard that saying? Some people are so far up in the clouds, they literally have no reality here at all, and then they're no good to anybody else. That's fine in your spiritual time and in your prayer time. That's where you should be dwelling. But we got to come back into the earth. Remember, Jesus went up in the mountains, and he came back down and had compassion on the people. Amen? So, But there is, there is a place that we must live from inside here. And the devil wants you to be so focused on the here and now. It is probably his greatest tactic of all. I mean, it literally is what, it, what sin is described as. Sin is pleasurable for, come on, mature Christians, for a season. So literally, the definition of sin, right, that it's pleasure, pleasure is only for a season, is actually showing us this reality that I'm trying to get us to understand, that there is, there is life beyond this season, and the devil wants you trapped in this season. He wants you to think that this is it, all my goals, all my aspirations. You know, I've failed. Look at me. I'm so miserable. Look at my life. It's still broken. It's still hurting. God hasn't healed me. God hasn't brought the promises. You are seeing your life from the wrong perspective. Because in heaven, we're going to get into this, but where you are seated in Christ, you are healed. Come on, praise God. You are set free, praise the Lord. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So when he says, I have nowhere to lay my head, he wasn't saying that there is no place. Come on, praise God. But I'm going to prepare a place outside of space and time and this reality. I mean, they're already, look at CERN. Come on, this is, you would have called me a conspiracy theorist in sci-fi just, you know, what, 15 years ago. Talk about stepping into other dimensions. Now, it's right there in science, you know, magazines. They're not even trying to hide it. We know there's satanic agendas to it. Maybe that's not right there in the article, right? You can certainly see it in their, in between the lines and their, their, certainly their, their plays that they put on. You know what I'm talking about when they do their inaugurations for these things. Literally, you know, portals opening and demons coming out. They're just saying, they said it's just art. It's just being artistic. Well, anyway, let's not get into that. But the point is that they are trying to tap into dimensions, other dimensions. And in fact, they said where this is, this is, you know, this is what they're admitting to you. So who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. But CERN has already said, come on, who knows what CERN is? Everybody's following me, right? It's this, this big, giant, they're basically just very, very simple it's in Europe, and they're smashing atoms together, trying to tap into the unseen. And they said, we can, there's something, we're able to see something there. They've already become aware that there's something. They don't have, they're telling us they don't know what it is yet, That's, but doesn't matter. The point is that non-conspiracy, just like right out there in magazines, where, where we know there's another dimension, at least one more. That means... That when Jesus, come on, Jesus came back in his glorified body. Who knows that? And yet his body had holes in it. All right, so it had some resemblance of the old, 
but it was glorified. He's like, hey, peace, see you later, and just walks through the wall and just disappears. He eats with them, so he's got some resemblance of humanity. We're made in God's image, right? So it's not strange that he looked like a man. They thought he was the gardener. It's not so strange that he looked like a human, looked like a man. And yet, he wasn't really fully in this reality. When it was time to go, he just left. And that's what it will be like for us. That's what the Bible says. I've been obsessed with this recently, this uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's just read it first. It says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, in the last day, scoffers will come. Who knows that scoffers are here? We've already come into the time of scoffing. And it says that they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? They're going to say everything has always been this way. Nothing's changed and it won't ever change. Except apparently that you change from an ape into a human, but otherwise nothing changes. He's not coming back. Those are just myths. And it says, verse 8, he says, but you, who's you? Who are the you in this verse? Come on, that's us. That's right. That's me and you, right? Sitting, we're here. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm hearing you that they're, they are scoffing and they're forgetting, but I'm not going to forget that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day, but, everybody say but. All right, so he's being patient, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So he's being patient, but there is a day coming. There's a day of reckoning, isn't there, church? It says, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves. What's the elements? We just looked at it. So here's a second scripture talking about the same thing that Hebrews is talking about. The heavens will pass away and the elements, what are the elements, right? We, we're literally made up of elements, right, down to the atoms. Everything that is even, even though it has to be seen under a microscope, this reality will disappear. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I'm getting ahead of myself, but maybe I need to because time is ticking. But that's why Colossians 3, one of my favorite chapters, if you know me, of the whole Bible, that's why it says, why are you thinking about this earth? Why are you thinking about here? I just told you that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what you've achieved, every single thing, even the, atom, the elements, the atoms that make up everything will disappear. Which means, what are our lives really about? What is your life really about? It is about, it is so simple. I don't, I don't want to say it's so sim simple, it's stupid, talking about God. I'm talking about our humanity. 
He's not stupid, is he? And his simplicity is not. But sometimes we can miss what he's saying. It's so simple, it's a children's book. You have one purpose, just to please God, to know him, to love him. If that's all we do, you will stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. Because out of that heart, to know him and want to please him, everything else falls into line. When your will becomes submitted to his will, you really can't get out of step. And my word tells me over and over again through the power of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit that even if I get out of step in the natural, come on, how many stories? Go through your Bible. God just takes the time and just sandwiches it together. He just takes it out of time, your mistake supposedly. He takes the, the gold that you earned and, and the strength that you earned in that, in that mistake, and he leaves that, and he takes all the condemnation and all the flesh in that place, sandwiches together your victory together, and moves on. Wow. I've been meditating on this because I, last week we talked about Joseph, and we talked about 17 years until, until he, he finally says, the Lord made me forget. So we were, we were obsessed. So it became a, a, a family obsession. We were even texting around. How long was it for God? And I told you I couldn't. I got this number 58. It's because I didn't do the next step in the math. We finally figured it out. It was 24 minutes. 17 years of heartache and trial and suffering for Joseph, and yet in God's perspective, it was only 24 minutes. So I began to think yesterday, because sometimes, come on, I just want you to raise your hand and testify. I just want you to say this out loud. Sometimes I have good days, and sometimes I have bad days. Do you know what a bad day is in God's time? I came in, I said, Aaron, Dawn, let's do some more math. And I asked ChatGPT to verify my information. One bad day of your time, you ready for this, is a quarter of a second for God. And, and, and the other side of the verse, don't forget, is that also a thousand years is like a day. What does that mean? It's both. In God, it, it, it's that quarter of a second for him is endless, though. He has, he has within, it's only a quarter of a second to God. But he's also living in eternity, so it's, it's not really time. It's just a number to, so that your brain, because the Lord knows, his, knows people, doesn't he? It's just a number so that he, he knows that your brain can't understand, so he says it in a way that you could get it. A long, 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 long time for you is really not much time for me. But also, I need you to understand that in my time, even though it's only been a quarter of a second, it's endless. It's eternal. It's gonna, it feels like a thousand years, though. Wow. But this is, our, this is our Bible, isn't it? Who knows the Bible is also fun? And, and I am so tired of those stupid signs that say science is real. Anybody? Well, I, no, the whole room went silent. What, are you afraid to say amen to that? Come on, don't be afraid. Science is real.
Those are so stupid. It's the dumbest statement. Because it, what it's saying is God's not sciences. You may not know that, but that's what that statement means. And yet God invented science. God is scientific more than the scientists could possibly understand. And, and I brought us to such an extreme reality on purpose today because I want us to get out of even, even thinking you could figure out God is, is so illogical. That was the point. I want us to get so far, like just so wacky out there uh, to understand that what, what, for God's perspective, your mind cannot compute. Your mind is so far from even being able to understand. The Bible says in James 4, verse 13, Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year and we'll do business there and make a profit. You know, we always read verse 14, but does anybody ever read verse 13 and just stop and think about this? You guys know verse 14, it's, it's like a fog, don't turn there yet, but your life is a vapor. But verse 13 is so important because they hinge together. What is he saying? He's saying, while you're busy making all these plans that you think you're in control. We loved quoting verse 14. I'm going to read that now. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog, or you may know it as it's a vapor. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, or if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Wow. What is God talking about here in James? It means don't try to do and be anything other than just trusting God. It sounds so simple, and it's like, that doesn't work, though right? You're thinking, yeah, I get the concept, but I still have to like go to, to work and, and I have to think about, you know, like how can I retire one day? And I, and I think we get too heady. We get too, we let the world creep in. We just don't realize we have yet. We don't realize. You can still go to work and somehow you're just like, it doesn't matter, though. I, don't, I can't really put it into words, except that I think as believers, we all understand this process. You have, you have lived there. You have felt the difference where you're still doing all the things in the natural that you have to do as a... Because Jesus says, remember the ant, look at the ant. So Jesus does talk about this diligence. You know, there is a diligence that's required... I was meditating on this. You know how Jesus says, don't worry, right? Don't worry about anything. And what he was really saying is, it's like, it's, don't worry, because worry is, a, is an emotion. It's a tied into fears and, like, the idea of, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be? How can I get through this week? How can I, I'm going to be 65, and what do I do? And, and, I, and I need a name, and I need to do all these things, and we could, or... 
When Jesus was saying that, he wasn't saying, don't clothe yourself, don't eat. He says, okay, you know, the, the flowers, they don't need to worry about that, and the birds. Yeah, but the bird still goes and gets the food, right? So you're still getting it. You're just not worried about it. You're trust like this complete and total trust in God. And again, like I said, it, putting it into words, when we're talking about some, we're talking about extremely spiritual principles that aren't so one, two, three, it's a very spiritual principle when we talk about trusting God. It's not so simple to just say, like, this is how you do it. It's not a formula. But we all know the place where, when we've been in that place and you are just trusting him and you're still going through all the motions you were before and you're being diligent at work, but somehow God's just pushing this and that and things. I told you about my testimony just a couple weeks ago, how he just, he's like, you can go and work hard. That's fine if you want to do that, but I can bring work to you without you trying. I mean, he showed me that. You guys heard the testimony. I'm not going to say it again. But that was a picture of when we're truly trusting in him of what he can and will do in our lives. I want to just bring us to uh, bring an analogy to you to try to understand how God sees our lives. Have you ever been somewhere high? Whether that's a high, you've been in a high building or you've been on top of a mountain, or you've been in a plane. Anybody ever been somewhere high and looked down at the earth specifically? Ever looked down from up above? Has anybody ever noticed, I'm sure we all have, that the cars just seem to be sitting still? Anybody ever noticed that? The city doesn't seem to be moving. It's just there all at once. Anybody ever noticed? Right, you can even, Just right here on Mount Beacon, you don't even have to go up that high. It's only 660-something feet, I think, from sea level, something like that, or elevation gain from the city to the top. And just from that perspective, it doesn't look like anything's moving. It's just so, it's just so still and stagnant. What about from the other perspective? Who's ever looked up at a plane, and you're looking at those millions of pounds and thinking, how is that thing just floating there? I'm not talking about the ones landing at the airport. I'm talking about the ones flying really high. And they just look like they're just sitting there, just floating. You know, they're not floating. They don't float. Okay, they're way too heavy to float. You know why, that they're, why it appears that they're floating? Because they're traveling at 650 miles per hour. I began to think about this. If that plane were to fly by me in this room, okay, the wings like right here, you know, and it's out that way, 100-something feet, right, of wingspan, and it just flies by right here. Do you know that it's 650 miles per hour up there, just looks like it's floating. It's actually moving at 952 feet per second, which means the span of this room, you know, 60 feet, whatever, 50 feet here. Your eye would not see a plane. If it were to fly by you at this perspective, your eye is not fast enough, although your peripherals are pretty good at, like, your mind will tell you what you saw because it's good at filling in the blank. Who's ever watched that show, Brain Games? Your mind makes stuff up, sees things it doesn't see. So because you know a plane, it might put together a picture, but actually what your eye would just see is a flicker. If it's traveling 952 feet per one second, how fast do you think it's going by your eyes? It is literally a flicker. 
And yet, if I stand back and I give it some elevation, give it some perspective, suddenly that thing that is moving so fast, my eyes can't even perceive it. Now it's just sitting there stagnant in space. Isn't that weird? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says, God sits above, everybody say he sits above, the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. I heard it said this way, thinking of this perspective, so high above, looking from the plane, or us looking down, looking back, this idea of time. This will mess with your brains. I've heard it said it's like viewing a parade. Who's ever heard this analogy? So I just I made up my own analogy attached to it, but I'm thinking about this parade, and the point is you're looking at a parade from two perspectives. Now, who's ever been to the Macy's Day Parade or who has watched it on TV? Anybody ever watched it? Okay, anybody ever been to it? Nobody's been to it physically. Who's ever been to a parade anywhere? I think all of us, right? Now, if you're standing in a parade, uh, watching a parade, if you look to your left, what do you see? Not the parade, people, right? Because everybody, of course, everybody's more important than the rest of you. If there wasn't a sidewalk there in the street there, they would just stand in front of you. But if you're on the curb, then all they can do is stand to your left and to your right, right? So New York City, you've got millions of people right, watching this parade. If you look to your left and to your right, all you're seeing is people. You're not seeing parade. But now your eyes out of the peripheral, you start to see a float coming by. Who's picturing it? Come on, who could follow me? We watch it on TV. They're showing from all angles. But if you're standing there, right, here comes the float, just floating by. And so if somebody were to tell you about the parade, they would say, well, uh, I saw a giant turkey floating by. And then I saw Snoopy a few minutes later. And then a few minutes later, I saw SpongeBob. And then a few minutes later, I guess Baby Shark was there last year. Baby Shark goes by. At the same exact time, okay, not a different time, at the same exact time, a man is flying over New York City in a plane. All he sees is city buildings. And for a moment, he looks down and he sees millions of people and he sees color. He sees Snoopy, SpongeBob. He even sees Sonic and the Pillsbury Doughboy, which you guys can't see. All at once. And then he's gone. He flies over. Now, here's where it's going to mess with your brain. Somebody asked the boy who's watching the parade, how long did the parade last? He said, how long was the parade? It was about two to three hours long. Everybody say two to three hours long. Okay, so the man flying over, they asked him, how long was the parade? He said about a mile. 
Now, the boy said it was about two to three hours long. He said it was about a mile long. Time would not be the right language. It would not be the right description for being above to describe what was happening down here. It wouldn't make sense. Even if he said it was about one second, what was one second that you passed over? I want to know how long the parade was. In order to describe the parade, he would have to use measurement. And I want to say this. It's not that God is not... Let me say it this way, actually. It's not that God is working in your situation. He's not trying to work it out. It's not that he hears your prayers and then says, I need to figure out an answer. From God's perspective... Here are you. Here's your prayer request. The answer to you is down the road. But to God, he looks, he sees you, he sees your request, and he sees the answer all at once. He sees Joseph there struggling and in that trial and in that frustration but he also sees a people that need to be rescued at the same exact time. Because to really mess with your brains, if you get higher than a plane, like where God dwells, it says he dwells above the circle of the earth. This is what's so strange. The further and further you get away, the slower time would seem to operate. It would even, everything in space would just come to, when, when, and, and that's why from the earth, you know, everything's moving. Who knows everything's moving? But when you look, anybody ever see anything moving besides a shooting star? Anybody ever see planets moving? They're all moving. But you can't see that because you're far enough away. Uh... I don't know, science tells me that the Earth in the center around the equator is, is traveling at uh, X amount of miles. Not, we're not talking about miles per hour. We're talking about, like, extremely fast. Like, it doesn't make sense. We should be flying off the planet. And the only reason it works is because we're so little on something so big that we don't go flying off. Anyway, I, I didn't come here to give you a science lesson, and I'm certainly not the person to do it. I wanted us to see that it's all about our perspective. The reason that time is an illusion is because we're trapped in a moment in your brain. But from God's perspective, he is looking at it all at once. He sees, we're saying, God, when? How long? How long? God, why? Where are you? Come on, these are all questions that involve time. And God is trying to give us, to get you to be patient, not because he's asking you to do something that you can't do, but in order to do it, you have to see it from his perspective. And this is what it says, I'm closing. It says Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, 8, just says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. 
My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Verse 9, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, come on, this is the perspective, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So here's what 2 Corinthians says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So, everybody say so. So because of all of that, and 2 Corinthians is building its own argument here, but he's coming to a conclusion. That's why we say so. I, this is what I've, come, I've decided. This is, this, is, this is what I must do. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Isn't that amazing? You don't need to turn there. We don't have time, but Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to run a race, right? Paul tells us to run the race. But it says, how do we do it? It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. God is with you. Jesus stepped into time and then seemed to leave time. But that's only what it seemed to happen, right? For, the, for Satan, it looked like he was dead on the cross. And for humanity, it looked like he was just a man, and now he's gone. And then they tell the disciples, don't just, don't look up. You're, see, looking to Christ is not just waiting, not, not just standing here waiting for Christ to come, but he, they were commissioned. It's go and do and be the people I called you to be on the earth. And that is setting our eyes on Christ. That is preparing for his coming. That is our focus. Our focus must be what the angels then told them. Don't just, it's not just to be enamored by it and just look up and say, wow, but go and be the people I called you to be. That's all that matters. Every other trapping, every other thing, all the other stuff, that's fine if you want. There's other things we can do which aren't sin, but there are many things that do steal away what God has given us on the earth to do. Amen? Praise God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that this word would get down inside of us. I pray you would show us, Lord, as the word says, set your eyes on the realities of heaven, that we would be heaven-minded, we would be heaven-focused, that I would realize, Lord, as each one sitting here, that whatever we do, if it's not completely and totally focused on you and for your glory, then it is a waste of time. And I pray you would remind us of this always. And so, Lord, whatever we're going through, whatever trial we think that we've been stuck in and even abandoned, Lord, I pray that we would see it from your perspective, that we are with you in heaven already, that we are already rejoicing with you in eternity, that we already, Lord, outside of time, are with you forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God.